We have many more days to worship you ahead of us. Amen. All right, well, let's clap for them one more time. They did a great job. Really good job. And uh, a little bit more light in the room so I can see the people. All right, um, a couple of announcements just right up. Tonight is our Christmas worship service. There's one at four and one at six. My request to you is that you do not come to the one at six. We do have room at the one at four. The reason is, the reason we're having people sign up, and in fact, if you're coming at four, I'd like you to sign up, is that if grandma comes to see her grandchild perform, I want to make sure that that grandma is in the room and not in our overflow room. Do you know what I mean, right? And that, that's, that's a value. So um, just come, but come at four, okay? Come at four. Now, later in the week, uh, we, on the 23rd of December, we're having Christmas communion. It's not a Christmas Eve communion. It's a Christmas Adam co- communion. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Christmas, because he was first. Okay, anyway, um, that was hard. That was a great joke, actually. Um, but anyway... We're going to do that at 7 o'clock. That way people can be here and so uh, from work and stuff. So, so that is that. Um, we are in a series called Temple. This is Temple 4. And as you know, throughout this series, we have preached these around the date that they actually occurred in the book that we're going through. So we've been September, November, last Sunday, and this Sunday... And, of course, the one that we've done the last two weeks happened on December 18th. And we normally start this with, like, this, what happened this day in history. Like, what happened on December 19th, this day in history. And so I could tell you about, um, we discovered another moon around Saturn in 1958. I could tell you that we um, put a satellite a first communication satellite in the air somewhere around the 60s for the first time in outer space. I could tell you that. I could tell you that in 1862, the premiere of the Nutcracker actually occurred. I could tell you that. I could tell you that um, the 13th Amendment on this day in history was, was placed uh, and, right, and approved. So I could tell you all that. But none of that is as important as the next date that I'm going to tell you, and that's December 19th, 1999. That is when my daughter, Aurora, was born. Very day. Now, I remember that very, very detailed. My wife does too. And what happened, and I didn't realize this until I was talking about it in the last service, but on Saturday the 18th, we got home from a church party. Yes, it was that kind of party. Okay? It was a church party. And I had, I had gone to bed. It was about 11.35. That's late for me. I like 10 o'clock. I really like 10 o'clock, that 10 o'clock hour. Sometimes I get to sleep, sometimes I don't, but that's really my target date, that target time. And I had laid down. It was 7.35. And, and guys, I, I had just started into the sleep world. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you're just right there, and you know you're going to fall into the sleep world. And it's normally at that time that your wife's timing is impeccable. She always has something to say. Like, 
if she's laying there in bed with you or whatever, she always has something to say, and you're like, huh? Like that. And so she came out of the bathroom, and she said, Philip, my water is broke. And I went, what's broken? And she said, the water's broken. I said, your water has broke. Oh, your water has broken. And so that started, you know, grabbing the suitcase we already had prepared, throwing it in the car, and making it to Ohio, to Christ Hospital. So Aurora was born in Ohio. Then she got saved and moved to North Carolina. <laughs> Quinn, <laughs> Quinn is actually born in, at St. Luke Hospital in Northern Kentucky. But nonetheless, we, she, we came on down. And... Um, that, that was an amazing thing. Now, when I got the bags for Nicole, I also brought a suit that I was going to use to preach in the next day because the next day was Sunday. So I brought my suit with me, thinking that once Aurora was born, that I would go preach the Sunday morning service, <laughs> right, and, and then do that. And so um, it was 9.30, and um, I held her for the very first time, and I thought to myself, I'm not preaching this morning. This is amazing. The birth was amazing. It is the second miracle in my life that I've ever experienced, the first one being salvation. But holding her for the very first time was something, and it changed my life. It changed everything about me. In fact, um, I can't now, it's very difficult for me to think of a time where she wasn't a part of my life. And if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You know there was a period where they, they weren't there, but it's hard to imagine that they were not with you, that she was not with us. So she's 22 years old. She's doing great. She actually marched last night. Yeah, and Liberty won. I don't know if you're an East Michigan, you know, fan, but we stomped you into the ground in football last night, and my daughter was a part of that in Mobile, Alabama. I watched that game and saw a little, you know, you look in the band and you try to see where she's at, because I know where she's at, and so that was just a great time. So they're on the way back uh, now, and um, very proud of her, 22 years old, and, and going for it. So that's incredible. So with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. By the way, Aurora, if you're watching, happy birthday. I know that you watch sometimes, so I just wanted to say that to you. In Haggai chapter 2, um, and we'll begin reading with verse 20. So Haggai chapter 2, verse 20. <clears throat> and this is what it says. The word of the Lord came a second time. I want you to notice that second time. The reason that's important, because it's really... The one, two, three, fourth time that he's spoken in the book. But for some reason, he's saying the second time. So the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Now that 24th day of the month, the Jewish calendar, calendar is different than ours. So that translates into December 18th, 520 BC. So last week's message was the first time on that day that... Um, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. And then here's the second time on the same day. Now, that is rare in scripture, by the way, for that to happen. In fact, it's rare for God to speak to people anyway. I don't know if you know that or not, for them to prophesy and then write something down in scripture. We think it's common, but it's really a rare thing 
And so the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. In verse 21, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. So God is saying through Haggai, hey, I'm about to shake things up and I'm about to get things done. I have a plan and I'm going to shake the world. Now, God's about is not the same about that you and I do. Like you and I say, well, I'm about to eat lunch. I'm about to go to church. I'm about to buy Christmas gifts. I'm about to, you know, if you have a kid sometimes, I'm about to spank you. You know, it's that sort of deal, right? Is that sort of deal? I'm about to. So, but God's about to isn't like that. God is saying, I have a plan and this is my plan and I'm going to start shaking the earth and it's going to be a plan and we know this now for a long extended period of time and I'm really going to shake the earth when I come back as Jesus Christ, right? And so here, the people, the Jews are looking at this and they are thinking, this is the coming of the Messiah, and he's going to come in, and he's going to shake the earth. He's going to get rid of all this stuff, all these nations. He's going to set up his kingdom, and there will be peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Are you tracking? I'm going to shake the earth. We're going to get rid of all these. Now, I don't know about this. I don't know if you know this or not, but the world is already shaking. It's already shaking. Nations are in a mess. We are in a mess. The world is in a mess. And I would submit to you today that the world has always been in a mess. It's always been in a mess. Ever since Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, we have been in a mess. So God is going to shake all of this and get rid of all of this, and he's going to come back with something a little more permanent than what we have right now. And it's the on, only the things that you hold on to that he gives you that will last for eternity. This stuff that we have now is going to be gone. So he's going to shake the earth. He's going to shake the planet, and it's all going to be gone. Now, the Jews looked at it as the coming of the Messiah, which was true. We look at this as the second coming of Jesus. You see, the Jews thought that Jesus was going to come and he was going to set up his kingdom. They did not realize he was going to come in a baby, as a baby, in a manger, and die for the sins of the world. They did not realize that. That's why they were not ready for him. He didn't come like they expected. And so we have already seen that, and we know from the New Testament that Jesus Christ is going to come a second time, and it's going to be a wonderful, awesome thing. So that brings us... To the Red Sea and trumpets and jars. <laughs> the Red Sea and trumpets and jars. Now, most of you in here know the Red Sea story. Children of Israel left Egypt. Red Sea's in front of them. They can't cross it because it's too deep. I don't care what the modern scholars say. It was too deep. It was different. It was too deep. So they're there. And behind them is the Egyptian army that's there to wipe them out. And they're concerned about it. Very concerned about it. And so Moses steps into the Red Sea, and the Israelites walk across, the Bible says, on dry ground. Not only was the water coming up a miracle, but the dry ground was a miracle and was key to getting wagons through a riverbed. Okay? So totally dry. They get to the other side. 
Now, the Egyptian army in the back watching this already knows that there's been 10 plagues in Egypt. They're after these people. And I don't know how they envisioned, you, you know, the Jewish God, but the Jewish God had been very active. And now the Jewish God had parted the waters for them to cross over to the, are you, are you tracking with me? To the other side. And some stupid person, said, let's go get them. <laughs> it is their God that parted the waters. Their God is saving them. I think it's a great idea to follow that path. And so they went in. They went in. And they got about to the middle of it. We, we think, you know, I'm kind of adding the middle of it. I'm just expecting them all to be in there. And then the water falls down and totally wipes them out. And the children of Israel are delivered. Amazing story. And so they wrote a song about it. And they taught a new song to the people. And this is part of that song. It says this. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his riders he has thrown into the sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Amazing. And that brings us to trumpets and, and jars. There's a guy in the Bible named Gideon. <laughs> he had 32,000 people, army people, had an army of 32,000. And he was going to go fight the enemy. The enemy had an amazing amount of number coming up against Israel. So 32,000. And they're on their march, you know, to go. And God sends him a message and says, Gideon, what I want you to do is I need you to send some of these people home. You have way too many people. And Gideon's like, okay, I have way too many people. So God says, so ask them if any of them are afraid and they would like to go home, that they have permission to go home. And so he had some type of announcement and he announced that. And 22,000 people, guys, men, went home to their wives and their children and he was left with 10,000. I'm sure that took him back a little bit. It, was a, it would have taken me back a little bit, right? Okay, 10,000, okay, we can do something with 10,000. There's a couple strategies that we can do, you know, with this. And he starts marching again, and the word of the Lord came to him again. He said, look, you have too many people. And, and if I was Gideon, I'd be like, what? I, I don't know if I have too many people. Do you know the size of the other army? It's huge. But God says, you go down and watch how they drink. And if they drink this way, send them home. If they drink this way, keep them. So Gideon does that. And he sends everybody home but 300 people. And God says, that's the right amount of people to go up against an army. So he marches these 300 people and, and he gets there to where the enemy's encamped. And they look over the ridge onto the army and the army, it, it's thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon ten thousands of people in that army. And they have 300 men. So they're all there and he's looking over. And then the word of the Lord comes to him and says, look, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put, leave, your, leave your, you know, your weapons in your tent. I want you to get those trumpets. You know those trumpets that you brought, those 300 trumpets? I want you to pass those out. And I want you to give everybody a jar. And set them up in three companies and surround the area. And at a given moment, I want you to blow the trumpet 
and break the jars. Ladies, that makes no sense. Right? That makes absolutely no sense. I would want to have some other type of strategy where there's some type of bomb that just takes care of them all. You know what I mean? Let's, let's just do that. Give me some weapons. Send a tank from 2021 into this arena. I don't even know what that is, but we can drive it if you send it to us. Just give us some, some type of weapon. But no, it's, it's, a, it's 300 trumpets and 300 jars. And at the appropriate time, they sounded the trumpet broke the jars, and the Bible says that the army was so scared that they turned on each other and they killed each other with their own swords. God gave them the victory. And so in Judges chapter 7, it says this, when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the enemy army. So all the swords and they were gone. Now, there were a couple of them, of the army, the enemies, that, that left, but they fled into a city of Judea, and they were totally wiped out there. But God supplied that. A couple of things about this. Sometimes God tells you to do something that you really don't understand why you should be doing it. Like, this makes no sense. Why are you making me do this? Why are you calling me to do this? And every time you have that moment is a moment that God is going to show his power in your life and do something special every single time. Second thing about this, if you go back to Haggai, is in um, verse 22, it says, and overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow, get this, the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down every one of them by the sword of his brother. Do you see that you have Egypt and the Red Sea and you have Gideon right there? So why did Haggai, why did God include that in this particular verse? I'll tell you why. Because he's sending a message to his people. You may be concerned about the world shaking and your enemies breathing down your back, but know this, you are protected. You may, seem, you may feel like there's only 300 of you left and there's not many believers left in the world, but know this, you are protected and you will win. God is with you. So he says, I'm going to shake the earth. I'm about to shake the earth. But don't worry about it because I've got your back. And I don't know about you. I'm glad Jesus has my back. This, by the way, is a message that one day, don't throw stuff. I'm, this isn't a political statement. One day, all our weapons will be destroyed. All of them. Jesus will destroy them. And all of his enemies will be destroyed. And there will be no need for weapons. Because Jesus will rule and reign in peace. And you will be safe because he will be keeping you safe in the kingdom. A perfect kingdom. I'm looking forward to that day. By the way, 
Jesus has permission to take any weapon I have. Come on. Come on. Right? Because I know. I know when he comes back, I don't, I don't know if you know this or not. But when Jesus comes back, you're not going to go get your weapons. They're not needed. He's got it taken care of. You're his people. You are protected. That's amazing. Here's a Christmas album of mine. I love this Christmas album. It, it was bought at a grocery store. They don't do this anymore. <clears throat> Haven't seen a grocery store that sells these things. But this is A&P. This is a record. The one I have has some scratches on it and stuff like that. But I still like to hear the crinkle. And I know which ones I can't play now and which ones I can. So you lift the needle. You, you know how it is. I know you're shaking your head. You know how it is. But this takes me back to my childhood. And... Um, this was a record we played in our house. I later converted it to tape. Yes, we had tape back in my day. Tape. You put it on a cassette tape, and you could play it in the car. And so on Christmas Eve, um, the, the tradition was for my family to travel all the way to Reedsville, and we spent some time that evening with that side of the family. And then we'd get in the car, and we'd travel to Burlington to spend some time with that side of the family. And in Burlington, we'd be able to open two gifts there at the house. There was two gifts for us. And then we'd travel back to Greensboro, or Colfax, as it, as it is. And we would get home about 11, 30, 12 o'clock, and I would go to bed. Now, on this trip, it's all at night, so I am looking out the window trying to see if I can spot Santa Claus, okay? That's what I did as a kid. Santa was for fun. Jesus was real, okay? That's how I was taught, this is how I taught my kids. So I was looking outside, and every jingle, I was like, okay, is that him? You know, and looking for him outside. And when I got back home and I'm laying in my bed, I just couldn't help but like, kind of like, go, uh, do I hear him in the living room? Do I not hear him in the living room? Kind of stuff. And so I would finally fall asleep. Now, I was the kid that woke up at 2 and 3 in the morning to see what he left. So Santa Claus had to be quick right? I would go to sleep and he had to be quick to leave those things. Now, my parents would give my sister and I a budget of $100 and we could go to what was called a Sears catalog and we could write down what we wanted and my dad made us do math. Like if it, if it was over 100, you had to subtract. If you still had some more, you could add to it. He made us do that. So I knew exactly what Santa was going to leave for me, and I was excited about it. It was like an anticipation, like I was going to get this stuff because I asked for it. And every year, I got exactly what I asked for. I wrote it down, spent the money. It was laid out in the room, and I was so, so ready for it to happen. Did y'all have the same type of experience when you were a kid? Can you remember it? Can you... I, just, just wondering where we are, you know, can you remember that? Yeah, just waiting for it to happen, right? And, and anticipation in two hours, just couldn't wait to get up and see it. Um, my son has a favorite Christmas song of his. He, he loves to hear it played. It was written after this album, so it's not on this album. And these are the words to the song that he likes. No more lives torn apart, that wars would never start. And a time would heal our hearts, and everyone would have a friend, and right would always win, and love would never end. That is my grown-up Christmas list. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what I'm looking forward to with great anticipation.
is Jesus coming back saying, no more wars, no more friendships being broken, no more sickness, no more pain. We're setting all this right. There's no tears. We're just going to have a good time in heaven. I'm coming back to shake all this stuff and pass it away, and you will be with me in safety for eternity. Cannot wait for that. All right, so next, verse 23. It says this, On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shetel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, this is a very important verse of Scripture. Not that the rest of them aren't. This is very important. See, Zerubbabel had a grandparent that God told him that he was taking the signet ring from him. He was in the line of David. And in Jeremiah chapter 22, it says, the Lord was so upset at him that he was taking the signet ring from Jehoiakim, okay? From his grandfather, take it away. That means that he was removing the kingship reign from that man. And so Jerubbabel is in the line of, of Christ, in the line of David, so everybody was asking, look, we're rebuilding the temple. People are coming back to Jerusalem. We're starting to build a wall. Okay? What's going to happen with Zerubbabel? Is God going to give the signet ring back to the line of David, the promised line of David, so that we will have a Messiah one day? And so Haggai, under the direction of God, answers this question. He says, yes. God has the signet ring, and he's going to hand it back to Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel is going to be in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. So his name is in Matthew chapter 1. This is very, very significant. And I know there's some people that think all this stuff about the future and Christ coming in to deliver peace on earth and shaking the world and getting rid of all his enemies is just something that we mythically believe in, but it's not something we mythically believe in. This was foretold way before you and I were ever born in 520 B.C. And there's oodles of prophecies that are, are coming to, to bear, okay? So this particular one, this giving back of the signet ring, works like this in a genealogy sort of way. Jehoiakim, right there. Shetel, Zerubbabel, which is given the signet ring back. And then Zerubbabel has two sons, Abayud and Risa. And then 520 years later, okay, you have Joseph and you have Mary, and then it comes back together with Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? So on this side is Mary, that's Luke chapter 3, and on this side is Joseph, that is Matthew chapter 1, because God has a plan, and he's executing that plan. And he wanted to make sure you and I did not miss the Messiah when he came the first time in a manger, and that we didn't miss his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, that we didn't miss any of that. And let me tell you somebody that didn't miss it, it's Mary. So turning your Bibles to Luke, I think it's Luke, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. 
We'll begin reading with verse 46. Now Mary is anywhere between 16 years of age and 19 years of age. She's somewhere in there. We've got it nailed down to that span of time. And this is what she sings. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked at the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Notice verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Verse 52 is directly connected to Haggai chapter 2, verse 23. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Mary knew what she had inside of her. Mary knew it. Mary understood to a very faith level that the Messiah that was promised long ago, she was carrying inside of her. Mary knew her Bible. Mary knew her Bible. And I think you and I need to know our Bible as well. We need to know what we believe and we need to act on that belief. We need to know who Jesus is and cherish that knowledge and cherish that relationship. And cherish who he is. And here she is. Jesus is inside of her. She is singing this song. And on the night that he was born. And she looked in his eyes for the very first time. It changed her. In more ways than it changed me. When I held my child for the very first time. Because the child that she held in her hands. Was not only hers. But was the promised Messiah that was going to deliver the world from their sins. And she knew it. She knew it and believed it and held on to it. If you're sitting in this room right now and you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know just a little bit about how Mary felt. Because there was a time in your life where you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you asked him to be your savior and he moved inside of you and you felt him inside of you and you know him because of that feeling of him being inside of you. You had faith, you accepted, he's inside. And now you have a little piece of what Mary felt as she held him like this. There's coming a day where you and I are going to be in heaven, and Jesus is going to be there. And for the very first time, we will understand what Mary was looking at. We will see him as he is, face to face, worshiping him for eternity, and it is going to be an awesome moment. 
I cannot wait. And inside, the way that we feel him and that relationship inside will be magnified into praise forevermore because of everything that he has done. That, ladies and gentlemen, is really what Christmas is about. That is the end of the story. And I'm so excited and anticipate it so much, and I hope that you do too. If you're sitting here today and you don't know what in the world I'm talking about, what do you mean a little piece of Jesus? Well, this is your moment to ask forgiveness of your sins and ask him to be your savior. And when you do that and he comes inside, you will know exactly what I just talked about and what Mary felt when she held Jesus. Now, we're going to wrap up with this. This is something I was coming down Farmington Road this morning, okay? I was listening to a door and a, a worship album and was coming down the road and just had a, had a thought, had a thought. And was like, wow, that is really, really neat. So this is not going to be as polished as what you just heard. Now, I know some of you are out there saying, that was polished? So, but that's okay. It, it was. It, trust me, it was worse earlier. Okay? Okay, so it was polished. So I'm coming down Farmington Road, and I'm thinking about this passage of Scripture, and I realize that, um, first of all, John says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that, that comes to my mind. And then I think about Haggai, The shortest book in the Bible that you always go past. Haggai. There it is. Um, verse 10. that says this. On the 24th day of the ninth month, that's December 18th, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came. And then, in verse 20, it says, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai the prophet. And it dawned on me that the first time it comes on December 18th, he's talking about the first coming of Jesus Christ in the manger. And when it says the word of the Lord came the second time, he's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. 10 through a 19 is all about holiness. And it's all about living out holiness on the inside and letting it come out to the world. I don't know if you know this or not, without Jesus Christ inside of you, you can't live that way. And so Jesus came as a sacrifice. The temple that was built was the temple where Jesus was dedicated, was the temple where he went to teach, right? Was also the temple that put him on the cross, the priests are the one that put him on the cross. That is the temple. It is all right there, the first coming of Jesus. And we know that after he dies, he rises again, and he goes somewhere else. But that's not the end of the story. The word of the Lord, the word became flesh, is going to come again. And he is going to shake the world and everything that is evil is going to be taken care of and done away with. And he's going to set up his throne here on earth and everything is going to be peaceful and righteous and just. That's awesome. 
That is awesome. So I'm looking forward to the day where I wake up in the morning and I ask Alexa, you know, good morning. And she gives me a news briefing. And the news briefing is um, Jesus is asking everybody to come to the temple today. He has something to say. Um, or Jesus said this yesterday, we are going to plow a garden or we're going to pick some flowers or, or we're going to take care of the animals or we're going to have a day of festival and, and eating. And I will eat at that. Um, th- there will be no germs. So, you know, you know it, it, it'd be great. And in a, in a, in a sort, of, sort of cheesy way, but I, but I have to say this. I'm looking for the day where the Alpha and Omega makes the news rather than Omicron. Where he has come and it's done and there's no more bad news at all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the stage you've given us and we thank you for this passage of scripture.